And it's amazing what people will put between themselves and God. What they will value as so important. And we have to be careful that we don't allow certain things to become idle. There are three chapters in the New Testament that deal with spiritual gifts. Those chapters are Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's been my experience to observe that uh, a lot of Christians, maybe most, seem to swing the pendulum too far one way or too far the other way when it comes to spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. Some people have a natural ability to swim or to run the mile or to play the piano. And that's all well and good but it's not a spiritual gift. You say, how do you know it's not a spiritual gift? Because Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 make no mention about swimming or running the mile or playing the piano. How about that? Spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts when God says they're spiritual gifts. What do you think? Can we go with that? There's a lot of stuff being claimed to be spiritual gifts that are not. And some of it is really hilarious and some of it's really sad. Spiritual gifts are what God says spiritual gifts are. Nothing less, but nothing more. Every Christian, every born-again Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Every single one of us, when we got saved, we were given some new ability And part of the joy of the Christian life is to learn what that ability is and to start using it and practicing it. And a spiritual gift, something like a natural talent, must be discovered and developed and worked with. And there's a divine human cooperative with spiritual gifts. When we start to learn what our spiritual gift or gifts are and we work in conjunction with the Lord hand in hand with God, then we're able to do things we could never do before. Before I became a Christian, I couldn't, for the life, to save my life, I couldn't do what I'm doing now. To get up in front of a a crowd, an audience, and to preach the Word of God. I couldn't do that if my life depended on it. After I got saved, I discovered a new ability, uh, a desire uh, also came with this ability to preach the Word of God. So we're going to begin tonight a little series, and we have to lay some foundational work first before we get into the specific gifts. And I'll tell you right now that there is a small percentage of uh, a difference of opinion on a couple of the gifts. We'll learn more about that over the next few Wednesdays, God willing. But tonight we're going to start with uh, an interesting approach 
to spiritual gifts. And again, it's all foundational. We're laying foundation here before we can build our superstructure. So it's in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll begin first with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful uh, work in our lives at salvation. Thank you how you can take um, really a car wreck and turn it into something beautiful. Thank you how you can take our lives dashed and broken by the world and sin and the devil and you can turn them around and fashion something beautiful. And anything beautiful and wonderful and good in our lives, Father, we give you the credit. Please help us as we embark upon this little journey, this study. Open the eyes of our understanding that we can see what the spiritual gifts are and what they're not, and then how we can begin to learn what our spiritual gifts are. Lord, it ought to be exciting study for all of us. And so lead and guide now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, the, first, the first thing we're going to do when we talk about spiritual gifts is we're going to sort of follow here the Apostle Paul's line of thought. And of course, he was directed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directed him to write this. But chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts. So right away, you know what he's going to be talking about. Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. And unfortunately, there's a lot of ignorant brethren throughout the last 2,000 years of Earth's history, the history of the church. There's a lot of people ignorant of what God says. And that's what Paul is talking about. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of what God is saying, what God wants them to know. And so, uh, through divine revelation, he tells us. There are people today who are saying kind of a similar thing. Uh, I don't want you to be ignorant for what God can do in your life. But then they'll depart from the Word of God and they'll go off on tangents and they'll talk about things that are not spiritual gifts. They'll talk about razzmatazz and, and things that almost tickle the ears and get people excited over things that are not what God has said that He wants to give. Um, in a factory, uh, you pick the factory, it doesn't matter. Any factory is going to want to have certain machines and tools and jigs and equipment, and then they have the personnel to work with all of that equipment in order to take the raw products and turn it into kitchen appliances or automobiles or something. Does that make sense? And if an employee at a uh, washing machine factory starts talking about parts and equipment that belong to an automotive factory. Can you see where this is, is going to run into trouble? The, the factory for the washing machines is meant to turn out washing machines. God's church is a little bit like a factory, and God is the one who decides what spiritual gifts we need in order to see 
lost people saved, in order to see ministries begun and people's hearts ministered to, God is the one who decides what those gifts are. Okay? Not us. That's why we have to be very careful. A lot of um, men and women who once upon a time were mixed up, you know, with odd and strange ideas about spiritual gifts after studying the Scriptures, were able to leave, you know, the world of make-believe and razzmatazz and they were able to, to uh, take the Word of God and to apply it to their hearts and to see the victory. You see, God wants us to have victory in serving Him. Victory in Jesus. That's what His will is. And that should be what our desire is as well. So, chapter 12 and verse 1, he's talking about spiritual gifts and that he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Now, what's he going to say next? Well, in, in, um, in verse... Well, I tell you what. It looks like a total departure of spiritual gifts. In verse 1, we're all set to hear about spiritual gifts. In verse 2, he says, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. What has that got to do with spiritual gifts? Well, it seems like he's uh, forgotten from verse 1 to verse 2. He's forgotten what he's talking about. Now he's on to something new. But no, that's not the case. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's just we've got we to gotta slow down a bit and see what it is he's talking about. The church in Corinth was one of the most dysfunctional New Testament churches in Asia Minor. Paul was the one who went in and started it. And it must have really pained his heart when he started hearing the stories of what was going on. When he first went to Corinth, Corinth, of course, was a very worldly city. Very, very worldly. It was large. A lot of people there. They had all of the modern conveniences, but they had all the modern sin as well. It was sort of like uh, almost a Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they had a temple there called the Temple of Aphrodite, and she was the goddess of um, love and physical uh, uh, relations. And so they had 1,000 female priestesses in this temple. And the idea was, if you want good crops, if you want large families and healthy children, you have to worship Aphrodite. And the way you did it was you rented a priestess for an hour or something in a private room. Well, I'm not going to go any further than that, but I hope you get the idea. That was called worship. And of course, part of their worship, believe it or not, in the temple of Aphrodite, they spoke in tongues. Now, we're not into that tonight, but I just want you to know that the church starting in Corinth and you had these unsaved people who got saved, and then you had a bunch of unsaved people who didn't get saved, but they're coming to this church, and they're bringing into the church the baggage of the world. The church at Corinth was not a model, pristine church by any stretch. It had all kinds of problems. They even messed up the communion table. That was shambles. And so the Apostle Paul had to write 
the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to help straighten out the problems. You know, if it wasn't for that messed up church, we wouldn't have the wonderful teachings, church teachings that we have today. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And it tells us what's right and what's wrong and how to do the ministry and, in this case, spiritual gifts. So he, he really lays it out for them. But what's he doing here? Well, um, he wants us to understand spiritual gifts. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant. And then verse 2, all of a sudden now, he's talking about idols. Well, believe it or not, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Because idolatry was very prevalent back in the, the city of Corinth. And the Christians in the church at Corinth were not immune to the heavy, heavy drawing card towards idolatry. Folks, don't think we are immune either. There's a lot of uh, pagan idolatry that's going on in this city of Surrey. A lot of it. There's um, incense being offered to a, a variety of different uh, heathen pagan gods. But there are other types of idols. And of course, you can go and buy one of these idols, and some of them have many arms and legs, and some of them have many eyes, you know, in their heads, and some of them are kind of a blobby form, and some of them, you know, have kind of big fat tummies and, and things. And you can buy these, these little idols, and a lot of people do, and they set them up in their living room, a little shrine, uh, other people have different types of idols. Essentially, an idol, the whole, the whole idea of an idol is it's something that comes between you and God. Something that uh, now starts receiving uh, affection and devotion uh, that is meant for God. And it's amazing what people will put between themselves and God what they will value as so important. And we have to be careful that we don't allow certain things to become idols. You say, what's the connection between this idolatry and spiritual gifts? The connection is very simple. You will never know your spiritual gift if there's idols in your life. You'll never know. You'll never, you'll never progress. You'll never be able to uh, apprehend You'll never be able to develop these wonderful spiritual gifts if there is the principle of idolatry in your life. Now, before you go saying, well, whew, that lets me out. Boy, I'm so glad I don't have any little statues and you know, I don't burn incense to any of these things. Hold on, time out. Because we're going to be talking a wee bit about that. But you'll notice... He says again here in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles. Remember also that um, uh, in Christ, we are a different kind of breed now. Um, the apostle makes uh, reference to three classifications of people in the book of Corinthians. And he, where he says, give none offense neither to uh, the Jews, the Gentiles, or what's the third one? Do you remember? I think someone said it. The church of God. So you're either an unsaved Gentile 
an unsaved Jew, or you're part of the Lord's, you're born again, you're part of the Lord's church. Now you might be thinking, well, what about, um, what about Jewish people today who are saved? Just, they just don't go to, go to the church. Well, what's going to happen to all saved people in the rapture when Jesus comes back? They're all going to get taken, no matter where they are. And so they are sort of part of the church. So anyhow, we're not here to talk about the tribulation and prophecy and future things. Not yet, anyhow. But these people, when they were Gentiles, they were carried away. And he's reminding them. Remember before you got saved? Yeah. How you were a Gentile? Uh-huh. And how you were messed up. He says, you were carried away by these dumb idols. Ye were led. It's like they led you by the nose and pulled you away do you remember, any of you remember before you were saved, some of the things you were involved with? Do you remember? You know, I didn't get saved until I was about 19. I tell you, I was led astray by a lot of worldly things. And unless you were saved at a very, very tender early age and brought up, you know, to really love the Lord and follow Him fully, you were probably led away too. And the devil is going to use anything he can to lead us away. And when we come under the influence of what we will call idols, all of a sudden now, there's no way that we can explore our spiritual gifts. Why? Because it messes us up. That's the whole bottom line with idolatry, is you get messed up. Uh, idolatry always messes up people. A number of years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to um, go to Hawaii to perform a wedding. And while we were there in Hawaii, we enjoyed the beauty of it, but we were at the same time amazed at all of the pagan idols. And everywhere you go, they're on display. And people are so proud of their, their, uh, their idols. There's a lot of, of um, idolatry in Hawaii. Um, they have the, the god Tiki, T-I-K-I. How many have ever heard of that one, the Tiki? Yeah, a few of us, okay. Did you know that's the god of money? Wealth? If you have one of these Tiki things in your home, guess what you have? <laughs> you, you've got a little Hawaiian idol. That's the god of money. What do you think of that? Boy, that makes you want to run home and do something with it, doesn't it? Uh, there's also uh, Haolili. That's another one of the Hawaiian gods. That's the god of speech. Uh, some of these I have trouble pronouncing. Kiakepo. That's the god of rain and fire. The god of rain and fire. Makuali. Makuali, the god of canoe makers. <laughs> How about that? Tell me, what's the difference between having a Hawaiian god of money or rain or fire or canoes or a patron saint? A patron saint of money, a patron saint of dentists, a patron saint, you know, of, of travel. What's the difference? Boy, I got to make my prayers, you know, to uh, 
St. Nicholas, so I get my toys on Christmas. A little humor there. That's an, that's an old man's humor, I guess. But you get the idea? Idolatry, it's everywhere. Hawaii was so beautiful. I'd go again. It was really nice. But uh, I want nothing to do with the, uh, with the Hawaiian um, pagan gods. In fact, do you know what the hula dance is? The Hawaiian hula dance? Okay. Some of the hula dances are supposed to be reenactments of how the gods, the pagan gods created Hawaii. Now when we were there, I, I wanted to buy a little hula dancer to go on the dashboard of our car, but my wife wouldn't let me. So probably just as well, huh? Yeah. If it was a dancing away to some pagan god, well, we don't want that. But you see how we, th- we see things that look so innocent and we don't realize the pagan connections with them. When God told his people that he was going to send them into the promised land and he rattles off seven, seven different nations, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the... Uh, I don't know, rock and rollers, they were in there somewhere, I think. But there were seven of them. I can think of um, uh, sleepy, grumpy, dopey, doc, sneezy, happy, bashful. Yeah, there we go. There's the seven. There's seven nations in there. And they were all pagan worshipers. And God said that you've got to tear down their cities. You've got to uh, destroy all of their idols and things. You, you can't keep any of that stuff. You've got to send it up in smoke and flame and fire. And that's what you do with things that, uh, like that. There's a, a TV show called The American Idol. You've heard of it? Yeah, all right. I'll tell you what. People get messed up with that kind of thing. They really do. Uh, they've got this other little competition where they, the mothers try and get their, their little girls into some very... Uh, growing up kind of costumes and doing sensual dancing and tiara princesses or queens or something like that, I think is what they call them. But you look at it and right away, you know, these are children doing things that even adults shouldn't be doing and behaving. And they're all so proud of them and of course they're trying to win competitions. But the idea, the concept of of the American Idol, it's another way to mess people up. Poor old uh, Britney Spears. That, that poor, poor woman is messed up. Her life, her whole life is messed up. She got involved at a very young age and wriggling and you know singing and jumping, dancing around the stage. And look where it's led her. And her life is, is badly messed up. And of course, there have been a lot of drugs in there too. A lot of people love Elvis. I mean, they love Elvis. And they've got big wall posters of him. They've got statues of him, magazines of him. They've got paraphernalia. They've made the Mecca tour of Graceland, where Elvis Presley used to live, his home, Graceland. They've been there once, twice. Oh, I've been to Graceland. Oh, you want to hear him? Let me put, up, let me put on a recording of the king. And they... 
almost come to worshiping this fellow. But they make an idol of him. But I'll tell you, the bottom line is it messes people up. I do not believe at all at all that you can be, that you can idolize Elvis and live your life properly for Jesus. I don't believe you can. Years ago, I remember kind of being shocked by learning that in Ontario, there was an Anglican minister who would dress up like Elvis on a Sunday morning. And uh, with all of the glitter and the big hair and the microphone and the, the glasses, and he would croon like Elvis in order to get people to come into his church. Uh, trying to get people to come to church, is that right or wrong? Well, it sounds pretty good, but how are you going to get them into church? Are you going to have a bunch of uh, uh, lady dancers to get them into church? Are you going to have a casino to get them into church? Hmm? Are you going to have a, a wet bar to get them into church? And I heard about a church in Florida that did that. That after service, they'd all go downstairs to the wet bar. Imagine that. I heard about some other bunch of kooks that thought they would form a church around alcohol. And I forget now the details and what they called it, but they had several chapters. And people would go to these things and of course they'd raise glasses of alcohol and laugh and sing songs and, and so on. It was just like a rowdy pub, but they called it a church. So you can see that uh, people can get messed up. Idolatry always messes people up. The Corinthian people at one point were unsaved Gentiles and they were messed up with idols. Now, Paul calls them, um, you see in verse 2, ye know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these idols. Well, what idols is he talking about? Well, turn back a page or two to chapter 8. And verse number 1. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Come down to verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. Now pause for a minute. Remember that this was really happening in the city of Corinth. People were all the time offering, making meat offerings of, of animal flesh and grains and barley and wheat. They were offering these things to idols, real idols there in the city of Corinth. So he says... We know that an idol is nothing in the world. And there is none other God but one. Now that gets you into trouble in some circles. Some people out there, they have their idols and they love their idols. And they bow down to their idols. And to tell them, that idol is nothing. There is only one God. They don't like that. Some people in the world, they don't like that. And that's why some Christians get persecuted in different parts of the world because they take a stand against idolatry. When Paul was in Ephesus, 
there was a demon-possessed girl that brought her owners much money through soothsaying. And so uh, one day he said to her, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of this girl, and the demon left. And so did the, uh, the prophecy and soothsaying that went along with the demon. All of a sudden the girl was healed. She was happy. Paul was happy. The owners were furious because they saw right away that the money that they were making was now gone. And so they caused a big ruckus over that. Uh, people really get pretty serious. You walk into someone's home and they got all these posters and everything, you know, to Elvis. You say one word against Elvis, they'll throw you out on your ear. They won't be your friend anymore. They don't like you because you've insulted their idol. Yeah. Well, good for them, right? Good for them. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you realize that there are other types of idols? Do you know that some people are in love with the almighty dollar? Did you know that? And they put money, 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 right up there. Boy, I tell you, yeah, you can have your church, but I tell you, at the end of the day, you've got to have money. You've got to have money. You've got to be making a lot of money in order to uh, buy a house, buy a car, to, to take a vacation to have a cottage, to, to live a good life, you have to have money. And when you come to retirement, if, if you don't have money, then, uh, oh, it's going to be a sad day for you. You've got to have uh, this many millions of dollars if you want to retire in, in comfort and, and, and style and luxury. So you'd better work now. Uh, so what? The church service on Sunday. You, you just go ahead and work. Just work three jobs if you can and make the money. Make the money. Make the money. And for some people, that's what they do because they believe with all their heart. Money is the way. Well, I suggest to you, people who put that high a value on money, they're crossing the line into idolatry. And when God says, no, 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 come to church. Can't, God. Can't. I've got to go make money. Come get involved. Serve the Lord. No, I can't. I can't. I've, I've got to go make money. Sad, isn't it? Sometimes children who grow up in the homes where mom and dad are just out making money, 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 they're never at home. Well, we want our kids to have everything we, did, we never had. We grew up poor and we don't want our kids to experience that. So we're just going to work ourselves to the bone and give them all of the toys and everything. They don't want the toys. They want mom and dad. You say, well, how do you live in a crazy world like this unless you make money, money, money? Well, I have a secret for you. Your heavenly Father's loaded. And if you will live for Him, if you will seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things, all these things, shall be added unto you. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Now, we're talking here about these idols. So, in verse 3, chapter 12, back to chapter 12. Wherefore? Now, right away, I want you to, um, to know something. In your King James Bible, you have two words that sort of sound the same, but they do not mean the same. You have therefore and you have wherefore. And therefore speaks of a, a logical 
result. One plus one is two. That sort of thing, a logical result. Wherefore speaks more of a consequence. And sometimes the consequence can actually be a good consequence. But usually it's not such a good consequence. And that's the difference between therefore and wherefore. And so in verse 3, what have you got? Therefore or wherefore? Which one? Wherefore, yeah. Wherefore, so right away, (laughs) be on your guard here, folks. I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Woo! So, Paul gave them the following truth in such a simplistic form, there's no way they could mess this up. They had previously been led astray into error, and he didn't want them to continue in this error, and so he's making sure they get it right. He says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, calleth Jesus accursed. Now the idea of accursed means the opposite of blessed. So whatever blessed is, accursed is the opposite of that. And the idea is the power and the benefits of the blessing are now taken away in the cursing. Life is now void of blessing. Life becomes miserable. And what Paul seems to be saying is the Spirit of God will never lead a Christian to think that living for Jesus is miserable or that Jesus himself is miserable and that living for Jesus is void of God's blessing. Therefore, no one claiming to be speaking for God will ever speak evil of Jesus or living for Jesus. Oh, I'm a Christian too, and I love Jesus too, but if you take it from me, take it from me, you'd better get your priorities right and start putting a a premium on money. You need the money. Oh yes, you need Jesus too, and he'll take you to heaven, but you're not in heaven. You need the money. You need the money. So you see what's behind those words. Yeah, you need Jesus too, but living for Jesus is going to lead to a life of misery. So, in Corinth, the draw of the idol was to get the blessing, the temple of Aphrodite. And Aphrodite, the god of Aphrodite, would bless your crops and bless your children. Now you say, come on, people didn't really believe it. Yes! Yes, they believed it with all their heart. Even the Old Testament Jews struggled with this for a period of time. And they fell for this too. These unsaved people, look at them. Just look at them. They're healthy. They're wealthy. They're happy. And they don't go to church. They're not even saved. What are they doing to make them healthy and wealthy and happy? Whatever they're doing, i got to do it too. And so we run to their seminars and we listen to their gurus and we bow to their idols. You see what Paul is doing here? He's going to teach us about spiritual gifts. But before we can learn about spiritual gifts, we have to get something straight. Our priorities. We have to put the premium back on Jesus. You can't hold Jesus' hand and hold the devil's hand. 
You can't hold Jesus' hand and hold the world's hand. You've got to let go of someone. And Jesus himself said that no man can serve two masters. Remember that? He'll either hate one and despise the other or cling to one and kick away the... You get the idea. And so this is quite a brilliant way here to begin the discussion on spiritual gifts. Now I want you to turn to uh, 1 John chapter 5 and we're, we're done on this. We're closing on this. 1 John chapter number 5. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 21, I'd like you all to read this with me. Folks at home, read it along with us, please. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. You have it? Let's begin. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now, we won't take the time to read the whole book of 1 John, but you'll see that John speaks of three types of Christian. The Little children, the young men, and the fathers. He refers to three um, segments of Christian growth. You're newly saved. You don't know much. You make a lot of mistakes. You haven't read the Bible too much. right? That's the little child stage. But then you grow and advance. You become a good Bible reader and a prayer warrior and uh, ready to serve the Lord, do spiritual combat. You're the young man stage. And then, after a number of years, you've accumulated a lot of wisdom. And you're able to help and counsel people and strengthen them. Then you're in the father stage. You see that? Well, notice who John is talking to here in verse 21. It's not the fathers. It's not the fathers that make mistakes with idols. They've learned to keep Jesus first. It's not the young men who are struggling with idols. They've learned to put Jesus first, keep their priorities right. It's the young children, the little children in the faith. These are the ones that are always struggling. Oh, should I read my Bible? Should I not read my Bible? Should I have devotions or not? Should I tithe? Should I not tithe? Should I get involved with supporting missions? Should I not get involved with supporting missions? Should I go to church? Should I not go to church? Should I wear a soul winner's pin? Should I not let my light shine? Should I tell that person about Jesus or should I just keep my mouth shut? And the young Christian is still trying to find his or her feet or grounding, I should say. And so they, they tend to be kind of like that. And the last words of the Apostle in this letter, keep yourselves from idols. Anything that's going to get between you and the Lord, don't let it happen. Keep Jesus first. Keep Him first. If you and I want to learn what our spiritual gift or gifts are and use them and have fun serving God, we better make sure there's nothing in between us and the Savior. Can I get an amen on that? Let's pray now. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.